Hello, everyone. My name is Andrew, and I'm Cassie, and this is the Qlips English Podcast. Hello, Qlips listeners. Welcome back to Simplified Speech, which is the Qlips series, which features easy to understand. But natural conversations between native speakers about an interesting topic, and I want you guys to buckle up because you are in store for a great episode today. I'm joined by my co-host Cassie. Hey, Cassie. Hey, Andrew. Hey, listeners. <laughs> and Cassie, what are we talking about today? We're going to be talking about my trip to Europe during the summer. Yeah. So Cassie just returned from a very nice long trip. How long were you gone for in total? About two months or so. Yeah, almost two months to the day. Okay, almost exactly two months. So a nice long time in Europe, and I'm sure you've got some wonderful stories to share with us, Cassie. So I am excited to listen to those, and we'll get to them in just a moment. But before we do, I want to let everybody know that there is an interactive transcript and helpful study guide for this episode for all Qlips members. So we designed this guide to really help you improve your fluency by studying with us. And inside the study guide, there are definitions and examples of all of the interesting. An important vocabulary that we think you need to know, as well as many other things. There's a quiz that you can use to test your comprehension of the episode. There are prompts that you can use for speaking practice or writing practice. And each week on our Discord server, we have a discussion about some of those prompts from the study guide, where you can share your opinion with other Qlips members as well. So the study guide is just jam-packed full of helpful things that will help you improve your English with us. So if you want to get the guide, you do need to become a Qlips member, and you can learn all about that. There are many other great benefits and bonuses as well that you get when you're a member. All of that information is on our website, Qlips.com. So check it out and sign up and become a member today. And at the start of each simplified speech episode, we always love to give a shout out to someone who has recently supported us by leaving a five star rating and a kind review on their favorite podcast app. And Cassie, we have a nice review to share with our listeners today. Who are we going to be shouting out? We are shouting out way to you from South Korea today. And way to you wrote, "Hi there. I really value Qlips because it's a great tool for learning English, especially for people who don't have much time to study. I listen to it while I'm commuting, and I'm impressed with the precise pronunciation, clear explanations, interactive transcripts, and study guides. Additionally, I really appreciate that there are different types of content available, such as monologues, daily conversations, subject-based discussions, and dictation exercises. Thank you for all your effort, and way to you. Thank you for your review. <laughs> yeah, way to you. You are welcome. We're happy to help you out, and we appreciate you for studying with us, and also for leaving us such a kind and amazing review. Thank you so much. So, Cassie, I think it's time for us to jump in and get started with today's topic, which again is going to be talking about how you spent your summer. 
Now, regular listeners of Qloops might remember that before you left for your trip, we had a conversation on simplified speech about how you were going to be volunteering. And let me test my knowledge and see if I can recall the content of that conversation. You know, it's been a couple of months. You are going to be volunteering at an eco lodge in Scotland. So that's a very unique experience, and I'm sure you've got lots of tales to tell us about. So I'll turn things over to you. I'll give you the floor. And could you share some stories from your time abroad with us? Yeah, sure. So I actually split my trip into two sections. The first month I traveled. Like a regular tourist, yeah. And then the second month, I did the eco lodge volunteering thing. My husband and I started our trip in Sweden actually to visit my aunt and uncle and cousins who live there. Nice. So you flew from Thailand all the way to Sweden. How long was that flight? It must have been a doozy. It was 12 hours. However, we flew a red eye flight. So we left around, I think, 12 a.m., midnight. And we got there around 7 30 a.m. And I really liked it because I slept the entire flight. And then the jet lag really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's a cool expression that you used just a second ago a red eye flight. And a red eye flight is what we call a flight that flies in the middle of the night, right? So, just like you mentioned, going at night. Do you have any idea why we call it a red eye flight, Cassie? I have no idea myself. I think because most people don't sleep like me and they're awake all night and they come with bloodshot eyes to their destination because they're so tired. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. But I'm glad to hear that you were able to sleep. That, that's really cool. And so you arrived, you were in Sweden, and I guess you flew into Stockholm. Would that be the destination? Yep, that's where we were for about two weeks, a little under two weeks. It was amazing. We had a great time. But, Andrew, wow, it was so cold. <laughs> so cold. Because in Thailand, we've been living here for a year. The average temperature is, you know, 38 degrees Celsius. And we go to Sweden, and even though it was June, The high was maybe 18, and the low was 8 degrees Celsius. It was so cold. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, it sounds like heaven to me because I've been just suffering in this sweltering South Korean summer. So it sounds like perfect to me, but yeah, I guess it's a shock to your system to have to go from really hot temperature to rather cold temperature like that. Yeah, we didn't pack any of our winter or fall clothes from Korea when we moved here because we knew we wouldn't need it. So, my husband and I, you know, when we were packing for this trip, we were like, okay, let's pack our one pair of jeans and our one sweatshirt and our one long sleeve shirt and hope it lasts. <laughs> so, did you have to go shopping and pick up some other clothes that were more appropriate for the weather? My husband did not. He wore the same pants and sweatshirt for, I kid you not, probably a month. <laughs> I did buy one or two things to supplement. So, what did you do in Sweden? What are some of the activities? Obviously, you would have visited your family, but I imagine that maybe you did some other things as well. What did you get up to? 
Yeah, I've actually, some listeners might find this crazy. I've been to Sweden, I think, seven times because my aunt and cousins have lived there for years. So I've gone throughout my life. But this was my husband's first time and he loved it. He said it was, there was so much nature. Everything was green, green, green. And he loved the cooler weather much more than Thailand's super humid weather. And he loved the architecture. Also, Stockholm is full of little canals. Stockholm is kind of like an archipelago with little islands all around that are inhabited. So what we did maybe two days was like riding around in a boat to explore the different areas of the city and the little islands. And we went to one of the, I don't know if it was a king or a queen of Sweden's palace and gardens. It was very beautiful. Sounds amazing. Sweden and definitely Northern Europe, that's on my bucket list for a place to visit in the near future. One of my favorite hockey teams, actually, indeed, my favorite hockey team is the Vancouver Canucks. And it's like almost 50% Swedish players. There are a lot of Swedish players on the team. And so I follow those players on Instagram. And during the summer, they all go back to Sweden to hang out with their families and stuff during the summer break. So I see a lot of Sweden on my Instagram feed and it looks amazing and I just really want to go and check it out one day. I'm curious about the food. Did you have any strange food? One of my friends just visited Sweden or maybe it was Denmark. Might have been Denmark, but he said he had to eat herring and he didn't enjoy it too much. I'm imagining that maybe the cuisine between Sweden and Denmark is similar. I apologize for the assumption, but I'm imagining maybe that it's similar. Did you have any herring and how was it? That's what I want to know. I did not have the herring. My aunt and cousins are not Swedish, even though they are very fluent in it after living there for so long. And they like to eat at home mostly. So we didn't eat a lot of Swedish food, but we did have the traditional Swedish cinnamon rolls, which were amazing. And we had, oh, I don't remember the name. But it's a famous candy in Sweden. Sweden is, of course, famous for Swedish fish, which are these little fish gummies. But they're also famous for black licorice that is coated in salt. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love that. No, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's kind of an acquired taste, right? But I like that kind of thing. So I think I'd be right at home in Sweden. Listeners, if you ever have the chance to try this black licorice salt candy, let me know what you thought of it, because I hate it. <laughs> okay, so you had about two weeks in Sweden. You know, you mentioned that you have visited there six or seven times now. Have you picked up any Swedish, Cassie? Can you say some like basic Swedish, or does everybody just speak English really well there that you don't really need it? Yeah, the second one. I can say thank you, talk like that. Did you know that Swedish and English are one of the more common languages? So it's actually, Swedish is supposed to be one of the easiest languages for English learners to learn. Yeah, well, when I look at the demographics for our podcast, where our listeners are, there are not many listeners in that area of the world, in Denmark and in Sweden. And I think that's because the English level is just, in general, very, very high fluency. I've heard that many Swedish kids just watch 
English TV and movies, and they just, you know, are exposed to it from a very young age. And yeah, they have a great high level of English fluency in that part of the world. So yeah, it makes it easy when you travel and need to visit, right? Yeah, it was definitely one of the easier countries we went to. Wait, I got, I got a question for you before we move on. Yes. Was it easier to communicate with the Swedish speakers of English or the Scottish speakers of English? Honestly, we were so lucky in Scotland. Our hosts, you know, are technically Scottish, but I'm pretty sure they went to school in England. They had very much British sounding accents, not the Scottish one. However, whew, we'll get to this, but my husband, you know, he's Korean, so he's not a native English speaker. He, for our volunteering job, he worked with the handyman at the Eco Lodge. And this handyman was like almost 200 centimeters tall. And he was very traditionally Scottish. I had no idea what he was saying. And I just giggled to myself every time I imagined my Korean husband trying to converse with this Scottish giant. <laughs> yeah, the reason, listeners, just to fill you in on the joke here, why I asked that question is because typically Scotland has a very different accent than other parts of the English-speaking world, and it's a very unique accent. And even English native speakers from North America, like Cassie and I, sometimes you can have difficulty understanding it. And I think especially, Cassie, some of the guys, I don't know if that's your experience as well, but when I visited Scotland, I found all of the women were pretty easy to converse with. So that's where the joke is, is that some English native speakers even have difficulty understanding Scottish speakers. So Cassie, let's jump into the Scottish experience then. So you arrived at the Echo Lodge and what I asked you last time, I think, was what kind of job you were going to be doing and you weren't sure exactly what kind of volunteer work that you were going to be doing. So what ended up happening? What kind of job did you do at the Echo Lodge? Yeah, well, before I talk about the job, just first want to talk about the place. It was magical. We took the night train, my very first night train, from London to Glasgow. And we stayed there for two nights. And then we took a train from Glasgow to a nearby town. And then we took a bus to get to the middle of nowhere, it felt like. And we got picked up and taken to this eco-lodge in the countryside of eastern Scotland. And it was breathtaking. As far as you could see, there were just fields of long flowing grass and sheep and cows. And if anyone's ever seen Howl's Moving Castle, uh, there's these scenes where you see the grass blowing in the wind, the large meadows. Like, that's what it looked like. It looked like the scenes from Howl's Moving Castle. Absolutely gorgeous. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And then when we got there, we found out we were staying in this old Scottish castle. Castle? Nice. Yeah. It's not, you know, like a giant castle like you'd imagine, but it has, you know, an east wing and a west wing and it has one tower and it has a lot of floors and it was, the kitchen was refurbished in 1820 or something it's crazy crazy do you know when the castle was built originally yes it was in the 15th 
century, I believe.、Mm, okay, the fifteenth century. So, yeah, several hundred years ago. That's amazing. That must have been quite the experience. Was it scary at night? Like, did it feel like there might be a ghost roaming the halls of the castle? We did actually have a bat fly in our room one time. That was... a, a bat in the belfry. <laughs> That was terrifying. But so cold there too. We were there in July, and when we slept at night, we were in this four-poster bed with a mattress, a sheet. A duvet, a second cover on top of that, and there was a heating pad under the mattress that we turned on full blast a couple of the nights. It was so cold, Andrew. <laughs> I remember when I visited Scotland. I think it was 2019, and yeah, I visited in the summer as well. And I remember one of the guest houses that I stayed at, which was in an old building, wasn't maybe as quite as old as your castle, but you know, probably over a hundred and fifty years old at least. And those places are just like drafty, right? There's like a lot of air that's always moving, and they're a little cold and damp. And I remember having to sleep with my hoodie on and my pants on because I was so cold, even in the summer. And that is with like an extra blanket as well. So. Yeah, I totally get it. It's a, a chilly place, and yeah, that's unfortunate that you didn't have any warmer clothes with you. We adjusted after a few days, but the first few days we were thinking to ourselves, "Oh, can we can we survive?" But anyway, inside this home as well, it reminded me of something out of a Victorian novel because the owners, their family, had owned this castle for generations, so. There were pictures all along the stairwell and in the dining room of you know their great 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 grandfathers and grandmothers, just like you'd imagine in you know like a Pride and Prejudice movie or something. And even they had themselves painted. So the owners were Paul and Louise, and they were in the dining room, and it was so cool to see their formal portrait. Yeah, that sounds. Like almost like you jumped right into a movie set or something. Like、mm. that's so cool. Okay, so you're at the Echo Lodge. You're in this amazing castle, this beautiful setting. But unfortunately, you couldn't just you know hang around and enjoy the scenery all day without doing some work. That was part of the deal. You had to exchange your labor for the lodging. So, what did you end up doing at the lodge? Yeah, actually, this part was really fun too. It wasn't an unfortunate thing. I loved working there. It was almost bittersweet to leave, actually. So my husband, like I said, he worked with the handyman Stuart, really cool guy. So they would go off in the morning, and maybe they would build a fence or paint something or help move furniture or whatever they needed to do that day. That's what they did, and I helped prepare the lodging for guests. So around the property, there were、uh, I forget seven or eight different places that guests could rent and stay in for a few nights. So there was anything from these little cottages where families could stay together to these kind of backwoods little huts that didn't have running water, but they had a bed and a water jug that you could use and some dishes to make you know simple tea and coffee and stuff like that. So yeah, the guests would stay anywhere from two nights to a week, and when they checked out, we would go in, strip the beds, and put it back together again for the new guests. 
Okay, so you are just doing housekeeping then, essentially. Yeah, and I've made a bed before, <laughs> but I didn't really know the day-to-day -day activities, and I'd never ironed in my life, which is crazy to admit for someone over 25 years old. But yeah, I got really good at ironing. Okay. It's a good skill to have, you know, like ironing is difficult. It's one of my least favorite chores of all time. So that's cool that you're an expert ironer now. It's something that you can take with you for the rest of your life, Cassie. What about the rest of your time in Scotland? Did you ever leave the grounds of the lodge and explore the country and maybe do some sightseeing or anything like that? Or did you spend the majority of your time there on the property? We did spend a lot of our time on the property. There were some cool little local hikes that we could do, but on two or three of the weekends, we went out to the nearby towns. And then we also went, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but I think it's called the Cairngorms National Park, which is this really big national park right in the middle of Scotland that is full of these giant mountains that they call Monroes which is a term you give to mountains that are a certain height. I forget, like 5,000 feet or 4,000, something like that. They use feet there. It was so surreal to be in a country that uses feet when I've been using meters for so many years. <laughs> yeah, it's a mixture of everything. So when you're talking about distance, they'll use miles, right? When they're talking about somebody's weight, though, they use this really weird one called stone. They'll say, you know, you weigh like five stone or six stone or something. I don't even know how much a stone is because it's just kind of very unique to that country. But I think, do they use liters for some things as well, Cassie? They use liters for gas, but then they also use Celsius, not Fahrenheit for temperature. It's very weird. <laughs> it's a mixed up place. Yeah, that's, that's funny. The mountain ranges were absolutely gorgeous, though. Again, I felt like I was in a movie. We kept taking pictures and saying, you know when you let your computer screen idle and it goes to sleep and then when you turn it back on, there's usually like some sort of screen-saving picture of something beautiful somewhere in the world. Yeah, we were, we were there. <laughs> that was the place. Yes. We did get rained on quite a bit on our hikes, but we still had a great time. Still had a great time. The rain didn't spoil your mood. That's amazing. I have to ask you about the Scottish food. You know, British food in general doesn't have the greatest reputation. What about you? What did you think? What was your experience with the local fare? Yeah, luckily, when we stayed in the Eco Lodge, we either cooked together or our hosts cooked for us while we were working. And they aren't super into traditional Scottish food. They really liked a lot of fresh vegetables and simple fare, which I love too. It was perfect for my style. However, the days we were not there, when we were exploring the rest of the country, I've got to say, we didn't love food in the UK. I love tea time. So like crumpets and tea and coffee and all of that stuff. Great. Traditional lunches and dinners, uh, it was a little hit or miss. Was there one dish in particular that you're like, eh, eh, not for me? I didn't get to try haggis, which I've heard some people like and some people hate. I really wish I would have. I'm guessing that would have been it. But no, even just a basic sandwich was just tasteless in the UK for some reason. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that's really funny. When I visited there, I thought that maybe the reputation that the UK has for bad food is a little bit overdone because I thought the food wasn't so bad. But also, I don't have an amazing palate. I just kind of like eat whatever's on the plate and I don't really think about it too much. So, yeah, it was all right for me. But yeah, that's good to get your confirmation, Cassie, that it might be a little hit or miss depending on where you are, perhaps. Yeah, I gotta say though that the foreign food in the UK was really good. We had Indian food one time and we had Middle Eastern food one time. And we also had, I don't remember, maybe some sort of fusion Asian restaurant, like a Vietnamese or something. And all of those were very flavorful and delicious. Just when it came to the things that you would consider traditionally Scottish or British, you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Now, Cassie, I think I remember you telling me off the air, and I might be wrong about this, but I think you said that on your way back home from your time in Scotland that you were going to stop in Italy. Did that end up happening? Did you end up doing that? Yeah, that was actually right after Sweden. We went to Italy next. Ah, okay. So you did a stopover in Italy between Scotland and Sweden. We'd be remiss to not talk about that, at least for a moment. Do you want to give us like the two-minute summary of your time in Italy? Uh, Italy, two-minute summary, delicious food, and I do want to say, I didn't really research Italy much, but we went to a city that I'd never even heard of before planning this trip, which was Genoa, which is like an hour-ish north of Milan, and it was my favorite part of the Italy trip. It's not, you know, your traditional route of like Rome or Florence or Verona or Milan, but it was absolutely gorgeous. There were a lot less people than the other places we went. And we went on some really cool hikes when we were there and had really delicious focaccia bread. So any listeners who might want to go to Italy and go to a place that's not quite as popular as the main trail, I recommend Genoa. Nice. How much time did you spend in Italy total? Very short, like six days. And we visited, I think, four or five places. So one day, travel to the next. One day, travel to the next. I gotcha. Okay. Well, I've never been to Italy either. So maybe in the future, if I plan a trip there, Cassie, I'll hit you up and get some travel advice from you. It's another place that's on my bucket list. I really want to go there one day. You know, there's too many places to visit and not enough time, right? That's the problem that we all have. So, wow, Cassie, thank you for sharing some of your stories with us. I'm so happy that you had a good time. You know, before you left, you were a little bit apprehensive. Like, how is this experience going to pan out, right? Like, will it be an amazing experience? Will it be, you know, not so great? But it sounds like it turned out for the best. It was so fun. And I think one of the reasons that made it fun was this volunteer experience as well. I really recommend it to anybody who feels like, ah, should I try it or not? You definitely should. Just do it. Mm. Well, I think everyone, we will wrap things up here. So thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of this episode. You put in the time, you put in the work, you got some English listening practice in. So that is amazing. Congratulations on that. 
If you enjoy Qlips and you like these kinds of English audio lessons, then we would really appreciate if you could support us. Now there are many ways to support us. The best is by signing up and becoming a Qlips member. And of course, when you're a Qlips member, you'll get the study guides for all of our episodes, plus many other bonuses as well. And you can learn all about it and sign up on our website. But there are other ways that you can support us also, such as leaving us a five-star rating and a nice review on your favorite podcast app. You could tell your friends who are learning English to check out the Qloops English podcast. Plus, you could join our Discord. Our Discord is a great place where our community gathers to have interesting discussions about a whole range of topics, text-based discussions, but also voice chat. So if you're looking to practice your English speaking, you need to be a part of our Discord. Plus, we're on Instagram and YouTube as well. So just follow whichever one is best for you. So we're going to sign off now, but we'll be back soon with another brand new episode. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. See ya.